The Undertaker. He's a figure that's captured the imaginations of generations of wrestling fans. If he's not on the Mount Rushmore of the sport, he's the crazy horse monument carved into an adjacent mountain range. But despite that, we've barely talked about him in a year's worth of episodes. There's a pretty good reason for that. Of the nearly 30 years of The Undertaker being a thing, he was only asked to be a one-dimensional spooky guy for about 27 of them. But when he was asked to show his range as a performer, he could shine. As much as darkness can shine. We're going to talk about how Undertaker first began to show traces of personality and elements of a backstory worthy of any horror movie villain, at the same time he found himself locked in a blood feud with a man many consider the greatest in-ring performer of all time. Things became so personal that a new kind of cage match had to be invented just to keep the chaos in. Or were they trying to keep something else out? This week on I Hate Wrestling, it's The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. Hell in a cell. So I'm going to take that as a positive sign and forge ahead. Hooray! Okay. Okay, so let's just let's just get right into it. Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Oh my god, man. I am so, so happy to be doing this. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. I've been looking forward to it. I mean, it was the beginning of the summer when we first talked about... Uh, about doing one of these, and I think... It's true. It's just, it takes so long to make anything happen, I feel. Like, anything really concrete in my own life as well, it just takes so long. But, ah, that's what makes it worth it, man. That's what makes it all worth it. I know, and you know what? I've been in, I, I've, I started a, uh, I started a new job at the beginning of the summer, and I feel like... Oh. I feel like just the whole summer just blinked by. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can imagine. Congratulations, by the way. I, I don't think I need that, actually. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I actually don't mind that the summer kind of blinked by because uh, <laughs> when you're no longer in school of any kind, the summer is just like the rest of the year except hotter. That's so true. I definitely knew that when I was working. Now I'm back in school, obviously, but when I was working full time, yes, that was absolutely the case. And it was a bummer. I actually thought the winter was pretty nice because there was at least the off chance that it would snow a lot and work would get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And and summer in my uh, in my new line of work is actually apparently the slow time of year because oh, yeah, because I guess that's when it's it's high end kitchen and bath. So these people oh. have like summer homes and they're off summering you know people who have enough money to use summer as a verb yeah yeah just as the verb that's, that's true yeah they're all off doing that summer thing yeah they're not buying their high-end kitchen and bath because they're enjoying the summer homes they're gonna come home with complaints about the summer homes and about why they want a different tub <laughs> right so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna sell them shit for their summer homes this oh, winter yes. And then next summer, they can enjoy their summer homes. They can summer better. That's exactly right. Oh, my God. If, wow. Fascinating. If, that if, does make sense to me. If I were in charge, if I were in charge of marketing this place, 
I would do like a little ad campaign of people in their little shore house or their house in the Hamptons or whatever in their uh, great uh, little kitchen yeah. or their outdoor shower or whatever it is. And it would just say summer better. <laughs> Dang. I think you got to pitch that to someone. Someone needs to know how good that pitch is. <laughs> I, I, it took me long enough to convince them to let me contribute to the Instagram page. So uh, I see, I see. fits and starts. Fits and starts with the with uh, with getting my my feet wet in the marketing aspect of this job, but totally, totally. Um, we are here today. The reason oh, yes. that I, <laughs> that we're gathered here today is to talk about the Undertaker. Oh yes, and how excited I am to do just that. Yeah. Now. I think you know the reason that I've I have asked you here today, Dan, to talk about the Undertaker, and it has uh, a lot to do with your own podcast. That's right, and I'm so honored that you chose him for that reason. It, I think it's totally, totally perfect. Yeah, my podcast. Thank you so much for bringing it up. A uh, Spook Squad, a horror podcast. I hope folks check that out if they're into horror films and cinema of that kind. Yeah, uh, I will. Uh... We'll talk about it. Uh, I have I have my own. We haven't uh, talked about my own sort of uh, horror fandom too much. I, I'm that's true. Yeah, I'm surprisingly really, we haven't. I'm really into a lot of uh, Universal and Hammer stuff. Oh my god, man! And, I love uh, it. I love it already. Yes, and uh, and also huge, huge uh, Val Luton guy. I love his stuff from RKO. Oh. That's that's my yes. that's my personal brand of horror. But oh, that's excellent, man! You've got great taste. We have a lot to talk about for sure, definitely. <laughs> so yes, this is. Uh, we'll see how much of that comes up. In, oh yeah, totally. In uh, in this, but. The Undertaker, you know, there's actually a lot of horror-flavored stuff in pro wrestling, you know, peppered throughout history. A lot of people remember, like, the friendly Muppet Mr. Socko version of of Mick Foley, but actually he started out as a very dark character, and that's sort of the root of the, like, the weird leather mask, the almost uh, Hannibal Lecter-esque mask, and he was this deformed like almost quasimodo type figure who lived in the boiler room and yeah like i love that storyline and the voices he would do man or like the voice he would do for early mankind with that mic was just fantastic he really brought you into it and he could get genuinely pretty he would freak you out i mean i was a little kid at the time i would get freaked out i love i loved that about it it just attracted me to the character all the more yeah it was this sort of it was this sort of pained whispering that would occasionally like break out into a scream, and it would be like, "Yep, that you know, shriek, my, man! Oh yes." When my four-year-old daughter looks at me and she says, "Daddy, why don't you have two ears?" I can't look her in the face and tell her why. And it's like, "Oh my God, Matt, that was really good." Thank you. <laughs> it really sounded like him. Oh my <laughs> God, yeah, dude, that's exactly it. Seriously, it was that. He re- you really felt the pain in like in terms of that character. It was awesome, and like especially after what he would go through in the matches too. It yeah. just oh man. The the thing about mankind, and now I'm like thinking, man, we should have done a mankind episode, but I've already done <laughs> yeah. I've already done a couple of mankind episodes. But I was kind of focusing yeah, yeah. on the fun parts of mankind. Like I did the uh the 
this the Super Bowl halftime show match he did with The Rock, where oh, they man. where they yeah, pelted yeah. each other with Classic. with rolls and poured Pepsi on each other and. <laughs> But the early parts, oh, so classic. The early parts of mankind were such an interesting because it was like they brought the Mick Foley, Mick Foley's real life history into yeah, the background yeah. of mankind because, like, the original story of mankind was he was like a piano prodigy who lived in the basement <laughs> and like that's why his he had this like creepy piano music as his yeah, as his yeah. opening theme and so cool. they went from that and then they just sort of melded Mick Foley's real storyline in there being that yeah, his, yeah. his dream was to work in the big time of pro wrestling but it took him so long and the only way that he could make his name was by destroying his body and by the time he got to the level of notoriety where they would use him in the big time, they would yeah. only use him as a monster. Yeah, I know. It, gosh, it really makes it so sad when you put it that way, but it's true. You know, it really is so sad. And I gotta say, like, I love, like, especially this era of wrestling that we're talking about, I love that the character lines would get that way and we're kind of boundary pushing that way, mankind. But yeah, we're talking about Undertaker, and I feel like the Undertaker storyline often did that same stuff it was a real joy to watch the promo stuff that yeah. you sent me and just get back into that era of wrestling which is kind of basically around the time that i was watching i think yeah and, uh it was great to kind of get into that and realize like wow yeah like wwf like they really were willing to push those boundaries and get it to be pretty dark and i'm not I'm, i appreciate like i have some friends that watch wrestling now they've showed me stuff of oh man i'm gonna buck up his name but uh ben wyatt bray right or bray, bray wyatt ben wyatt, wyatt is yeah. from parks and recreation so I, <laughs> I, yeah that's right <laughs> no. not ben wyatt wrestling that's not but bray yeah that dude his stuff like this the house that he's been doing the, the firefly funhouse yes absolutely incredible that stuff and i love that that brings like i know that's its own like dark storyline too and i'm like yeah. they're keeping it going but like to give credit where credit is due like for me and i don't know as much as you but it, it started with undertaker there was no question like that was the defining dark storyline he was the defining dark character at least that was in my own life that was how i viewed him for sure yeah so before undertaker the premier uh the premier dark wrestler was this guy kevin sullivan okay i don't think i've heard of him so he was uh, he was active in the late 70s all the way up into the mid 90s but kevin sullivan was if you pictured this guy from boston the thickest boston accent you've ever heard doing like <laughs> an anton levey satanist gimmick oh man but, wow but this dude is like built like the Tasmanian devil and he's wearing little purple shorts. Oh dude, I'm all about it. And he's like, <laughs> sounds great. And he's like, dusty Rhodes, you can't step to me in my army of darkness. And it's like, <laughs> Kevin, Yes. Kevin Sullivan oh, was actually, man. he was actually a tag team partner of mankind back when he first started as Cactus Jack, they were a tag oh, team. Oh my gosh. In Cactus Jack days. That's incredible. Yeah. But that was like, as, 
dark and spooky as wrestling got before The Undertaker. And wow. And I do want to talk about you mentioned this is the late 90s, the quote unquote attitude era. And one of the things That's right. Yet one of the things that differentiates it from previous eras is the way that they sort of blurred the lines between performer and character. Oh, that's so cool. So is this one of like the first times that they started doing stuff like that? Yeah. So back in the, you know, in the eighties, Hulk Hogan was a character on TV. Nobody ever talked about what Hulk Hogan was doing off camera. Um, Oh, that's so interesting. The culture must have really changed then as a whole then too. Yeah, totally. Because, well, part of it was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, with the term sports entertainment. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah, yes, indeed, okay. yes. So do you know the, the secret origin of the term sports entertainment? I don't think I do. Okay, so professional wrestling used to be classified as a sport and was mm. therefore able to be regulated and taxed by different state athletic commissions and regulatory ah. bodies. And in order to get rid of that oversight, Vince McMahon in the late 80s, maybe 89, something like that, he essentially comes out and says... This is not a sport. This is sports entertainment. Oh my gosh. So, so that's where it came from. So that's where it came out from. of that stuff. Right, because it used to be that you had to you had to pay for like to have the state athletic commission's staff doctor on site and you had to pay yeah, this fee. Yeah, I can see why Vince fee. wouldn't like that. <laughs> right. And he's not interested <laughs> in Right, and he's not interested in regulation because if he's a sport, exactly. then he has exactly. to report certain things and Right, so he basically wants to say, we're a show. We're a show, we're a traveling, live stage combat show about a professional fighting league. That's essentially what he says in the late 80s. And before that, everybody on camera is essentially acting as though the fans at home don't know that it's an act or a show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Wow. After that, once we get into the 90s, Vince starts to realize, okay, the fans are in on the fact that this is an act and they're along for the ride. So we can actually blur the lines a little bit and we can do things like introduce elements of Mick Foley's real history into the character history of mankind. Wow. Or we can go back and talk about the Undertaker's childhood. You know, nobody talked about what Randy Savage did before he became a wrestler. You know, nobody... Yes, yes you're so right about that, yes. They, these characters just sprung forth, fully formed like Athena from the head of Zeus. They're on television, <laughs> and yeah, they don't really exist outside of the role that we see them in. So what yes. the 90s wrestling boom asks us is, what if these were real people? What... What would that be? And then we start to see things like, you know, people's real life spouses getting involved in storylines and the characters have a past, which is what we get with Undertaker. And, uh, you know, the characters have motivations and they have histories and you get things like mankind admitting he used to be called Cactus Jack elsewhere. And the characters... that kind of stuff always blew my mind. Yeah. They never go that, that really makes me lucky yeah. that I started watching during this time. Like this was my era of wrestling is precisely what you're talking about. 
And I, you know, it makes me feel lucky that I came in during like such a huge sea change in what professional wrestling was because I, it's true. I mean, like the, the whole time that I was watching wrestling, I don't, it was never a question to me that it was, was it real or was it, that just seemed like you're asking the wrong question. Like to start, right. like if you're yes. enjoying from that way, like it's just not, it doesn't even matter. It's just, you're watching and, and that in and of itself allowed me to get lost in, in this way right from the beginning that maybe other people didn't have. I think that's great. And like, yeah, the storylines, man. I mean, like I was awash with great storylines in that era. What a, what a blessing. <laughs> yes. And, and the, the, yeah, all this stuff. And the, the flip side of that coin is sometimes they go a little bit too far into that Jerry Springer type personal oh drama. Oh my God. Totally. And, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, people, think back at the quote-unquote Attitude Era as this golden age, and it kind of was as far as mainstream popularity goes, but if you go sure. back and, and try to watch the show's beginning to end, you're like, man, there's a lot of garbage on this show. <laughs> <laughs> because, I'm totally, yeah, 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 I could see that for sure. Because you go for back, sure. you go back and you watch it, and you're like, oh man, there's like, there's like so many matches that, are like three minutes long and they end when a third person runs in and just starts punching somebody. And, <laughs> and it's stuff like, yeah. you know, every, every female character on the show is like, uh, pregnant or tr like having an affair with somebody or <laughs> both <laughs> or, or, yeah. or, or like, mad at one of the other female characters and trying to have a pudding fight about it. It was super <laughs> weird. Like, yeah, man, it's so funny that it's just, I guess this is just what I do because this is the person that I am, but you know, I, I, I can't help but draw the connection to our own uh, sphere with horror movies where it's just like, I, I think of the eighties era, which a lot of people in similar fashion look as the golden era of horror, like when it was just, there was this huge boom where, you know, Friday the 13th had come out and made a lot of money and people are just like, wow, that cost like no money to make. And right. it, like people loved it. So it's like, I think we're just going to make a million of these. And so there is this abundance of just really ridiculous and a lot of fun horror movies from the eighties, but it's totally similar dude. like, if you go back and just try and pick a random eighties horror movie out of a pile, you will be awash with just, it's like writing that is complete nonsense and just effects that were like, yeah, they were truly on a shoestring budget, but it's like the golden age. It truly, we do remember it that way for a reason because it was, it's not that it's not true. It was so influential and so fun and exciting at the time, but yeah, there's a reason why that was then. And this is now in some ways. <laughs> yes. No, no. And that's an excellent point and a great comparison too, because um, we remember it, the imitation aspect, right? Because you look at the you look at the the eighties slasher boom, which I guess Oh yeah. I guess starts in the late seventies with Halloween and Chainsaw, right? But, exactly. But it the idea becomes, okay, you have a very distinctive slasher, right? Yeah. And you make it a franchise and you just have your killer kill people in increasingly creative ways over yeah. and over and over again. Yep. And so you get something like A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is actually very creative and, That's right. and unsettling. And by the third one, it's essentially, you know, a dark comedy. And, exactly. And it just became that, yeah. And 
that's what gets imitated is the cheese ball aspects of it. So you get like yes. fucking leprechaun or exactly. what anything that could be anything that could become a a franchise because that's what you see. You don't see oh Nightmare on Elm Street was successful because it was visionary and was full of these incredibly unique set pieces. Exactly. It's it's like people they saw it and they understood what it did right and they imitated all of the things that were opposite of that. It's so funny the way that that works out, but it seems like there was something to that effect going on in wrestling as well, where it's just like when it's good, it's it seems like it's deceptively simple. Yes. Right? Like those storylines, it's just, and maybe that's true is that it is simple on some level, but it takes someone and that's how you know too like when you see someone with great mic work you're just like oh like there is an art to this like you can't just go up there and just start yelling and it's like oh it's, yeah no it's right. just as good I, I was so happy that of the clips that you sent me to prepare for the match that we were going to watch one of them included Shawn Michaels as yes. a heel yes and I it was so funny to me because I was just like Wow, yeah, that's right. Like, he did that. Like, I always remembered him as the odd, like, he was just obviously such a good face. Like, he's great. But he's a pretty good heel, too. Like, oh, honestly, yeah. he, was, he was really digging in and, like, coming in. That entrance, dude, it got me. Honestly, I totally forgot that that had happened. Dude, I was totally fooled. I thought it was The Undertaker. And so, then when he takes off the black, it, it's awesome, man. Like, he really plays it up, and the audience hates him in that moment. And it's great. He's just drinking it in. Like that's it's it's deceptively simple. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. But not everyone can just do that. Right. And I, I want to dig. We'll dig into the uh, to the to the homework a little bit more in a second. But I just sure. wanna, I just want to put a a capstone, as it were, on this on this analogy of taking something that works and then copying the parts of it that work the least. Yeah. Totally. Totally. If you were to look at what mankind is the the ur example, right of blending this line and introducing elements of the person's real character and coming up with, well, Steve Austin too, right? Yeah, He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great example. Yeah, or The Rock even, right? Um, yeah. So the idea is, okay, well, every person's wrestling character should just be an exaggerated version of themselves. Okay, <laughs> a fine yeah. hypothesis, but then you're assuming that all of your performers are interesting in real life, which is not a safe that, assumption. Yes, and so, that's true. What you wind up with is stuff like people realize, oh, wow, do you remember the segment where Mick Foley sat down with Jim Ross and, like, went through his history and talked about, like, the kids bullying him when he was younger and, like, oh, making him yeah, eat worms? No, I do remember. Yes, yes. And that's, like, the ultimate example of why this works because you have a performer who knows how to – it's method, right? He's drawing from his own experiences yes. to color the experience of – experiences of the character so exactly that's true yeah a couple of years later they tried to do a similar thing with jeff jarrett do you remember jeff jarrett <laughs> a little bit i jeff, actually do yeah jeff jarrett had like a country singing character in the mid 90s yes yeah yeah, yeah. and he left <laughs> I do remember. he left wwe under shitty circumstances he essentially held them up because his contract oh, had his contract had expired and he was set to appear on pay-per-view and he was like, Hey, my contract's expired. I will wrestle on this pay-per-view that you've advertised me for, for like six figures. Oh man. Yeah. And Ugh. like, 
not only had they not expected this to happen, he was also expected to have like a whole other storyline going forward. And he was like, Hey, give me six figures. Also, I'm leaving and fuck your long-term storyline. And like, wow. Yeah. And he left. Oh, that's such a crappy thing to do, man. Yeah. So he left, they paid him. He worked the show, left, went to their competition, was there for like a year. They didn't use him the way he wanted either because if you know anything about Jeff Jarrett, you know that Jeff Jarrett's favorite wrestler in the world is Jeff Jarrett. He has a very high opinion of himself. <laughs> so yeah. he comes back and they hire him back because they're in a very pitched sort of talent war. And right. nobody's going to throw away a solid hand at this point in the in the race. So WWE takes back Jeff Jarrett, even though they'd gotten burned with him like two years before. And what they do is they copy the Mick Foley thing and they do a sit down interview with Ugh. with Jim Ross and Jeff Jarrett. And Jeff Jarrett is just sitting there talking about like, you know, Jeff Jarrett's one of the premier athletes in the world. And oh ain't nobody going to tell me that Jeff Jarrett ain't worth what he's worth. And he's just like, this is not a good character. Like, this yeah. is not the time to do this. It's right. It doesn't matter if the formula is the same. You're copying the mankind thing. The effect is completely different because you're right. The character just doesn't work. <laughs> right. And they, and they would even, it would get even worse at some point. Like there was one point where people in the very late nineties, like maybe even late 99, 2000, where people yeah. were coming out on the show and being like, the script says I'm supposed to lose, but I'm not going to lose. And I'm like, what the Whoa. fuck are you doing? Like, this is, nobody's here for your post Dadaist pro wrestling art. Yeah, I, yo, that, that complex is so weird to me. This goes to like the, I know it's silly, but I kind of relates because of the rock. Like, you know, like the Fast and Furious guys, like, have in their contracts for the movies that, like, they're not allowed to lose a fight. And, like, sometimes they have to fight each other in the movies. And it, <laughs> it's really awkward because, like, they have their agents on set to say, like, oh, well, he, he's not allowed to fall down this much. He has to get up at, like, this exact angle and he can only fall down for this amount of seconds and then get right back up. And then he has to give him the same punch. And it's like, dude. What? Come on. Like, how big can your ego be for real? That it's just like, they're characters, but like, it's so silly that that really does seep in on some level. It's funny that that happened in wrestling. That's, yeah. And it sounds like a disaster. <laughs> and sometimes it is, but sometimes it works. And this is an excellent segue <laughs> into, uh, into the homework because I want to talk about oh, Shawn Michaels. Oh, yes. Now, oh, yes. Now, yes. you talked about remembering Shawn Michaels as being like the valiant underdog babyface. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely how I remember him. Now, that was the character Shawn Michaels was playing in the early 90s and the mid 90s. Yeah. Right around 1997, Shawn Michaels, at the same time they start to do this with Mick Foley, they decide to start to work some of Shawn Michaels' real-life personality into his character. And oh. as it happens, at this time, Shawn Michaels was the biggest piece of shit diva on the planet. <laughs> oh, man. Like, wow. politicking at every turn, refusing to lose to this guy and that guy, and wanting to preserve this legacy of being like the best wrestler in the world and the best performer wow. in the world and <laughs> like no idea. an incredible 
an incredible douchebag. And <laughs> like you can, Shawn Michaels has done so many interviews. The guy like is reformed now, is a born again, a born again Christian. Like oh my gosh, a wow. family, a family man. Like now he's a coach for WWE. He's training their up and coming talent, and he's oh, done wow. innumerable interviews over the years talking about how he was in the mid nineties. And he's just basically like, yeah, if somebody tells me I did something in the mid nineties, I pretty much believe them because I was essentially <laughs> capable of anything at that point. Wow. Oh my gosh. Like peak self-destructive rock star egomaniac yeah. behavior. I was, I was just thinking that is that it really is like the parallel I would give is exactly that a rock star or something at like the peak of their fame or just like, yeah, that's so wild. Yep. And that's exactly where Shawn Michaels is. And guess what? This attitude in real life has alienated everyone else that he works with because everybody else realizes that, Hey, this guy's not in this to make anybody else look good. He's in this to make himself look good. He's For not himself, a, yeah. right. He's not a team player. Nobody's excited to work with Shawn Michaels, and he is externalizing that with this character where he's essentially just uh, he's essentially become like a living flesh and blood thirty year old Beavis and or butthead. <laughs> And I don't know if he's Beavis or Butthead, but Triple H is the other one. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Oh, my gosh. But what an incredible thing that they found each other at that perfect era for them to exist. Because I often think about this about Triple H, too, where I think about, like, what was, like, I just look back at it. It was like, wow, everybody had these these strong, defined characters, and a lot of them were based on, Either just like you could describe it in one word, where it's like even the Undertaker, the Dead Man, right. or even Kane, or even just like man, like it gets complex. But you, there's there's a gimmick of some kind. Right. But Triple H, it was never that simple. He was just in opposition. He was just like this force of douchebaggery and privilege and wealth, and just like oh my god, like he was just so easy to hate. Like it was just, and he always positioned himself as like the perfect asshole in the perfect way. What an incredible thing that D generation X was able to exist basically at the perfect time for them to exist. But I, were they like a nuisance to everyone else? Oh yeah. Yeah. They were. Oh, oh my God. They were a thorn in everyone else's sides on screen. I had no and idea. Off. Yeah. Um, and a triple H at least had a reputation for being a big time company man to the, to the extent yeah. that he would later go, go on to marry the boss's daughter. Right, right, right. Oh my god, yeah. That's, yeah. And <laughs> that tri- says it all for Triple sure. H is actually now overseeing WWE's developmental. Uh, so he and Shawn Michaels are like the two godfathers of WWE's developmental league. And it's like, it's, wow. cool, it's cool that that's how they're giving back to wrestling after all of these years of being shithead tyrants on screen. <laughs> yeah, that is a nice way to do it, to kind of pay for those early sins in that way. That's, wow. I mean, it's just kind of, it's wild for me to imagine, it's still sinking in that, like, what I perceived Degeneration X to be as a viewer is similar to the ex- 
the effects of what they actually were to yes. like be around. That's completely wild for me to wrap my head around because wow. Yep. <laughs> so we've got Shawn Michaels and he's he's he comes out dressed as the Undertaker. Right. And people are all excited that the Undertaker's here. The lights come on and he strip teases out of the Undertaker trench coat. (laughs) And he goes on to just start talking shit about the Undertaker, about how the the Undertaker has never beaten him. And the Undertaker's never going to beat him because the Undertaker's not as good as him. And then he and his friends set up like a weird... I don't even know how to describe this. If you haven't seen this video, yeah, folks at home, you should look it up. I is, definitely agree; it's this, worth looking up. <laughs> this is going to sound. You're going to think you're having a stroke. This is an insane <laughs> sentence for me to say. But he and his friends have a sophomoric, homoerotic cookout in the ring. It really is homoerotic. I'm so glad you <laughs> emphasized that because it really, really was. There's just I couldn't believe when I was watching it. I was almost like getting like blushing a little bit because they're literally waving around wieners like somewhat <laughs> suggestively on the stage. And then to, I, it was it was wild. Like I really it really was wild. I just had to sit back and be like, wow, this era of WWE. Oh, my God. Wait, it, hold on. Triple H's apron. I'm trying to remember what it said. Is it suck the cook? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> That's so, I remember looking, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so wild. This was on at like quarter to nine on USA. Yeah, yeah, dude, seriously. (laughs) Like this, this was running when suits would run now. Suits. (laughs) Wow, that really puts it in perspective. Yeah, for how fucking wild this was. But I mean, they're taking a lot of cues from the wider culture, right? They're, you know, Jerry Springer's huge. South Park is huge. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, good point. And so they're embracing this sort of, or they're riding the wave, I guess, of pop culture crassness as far as it'll take them. <laughs> yeah, they fit perfectly in that pocket. I gotta say, I always remembered them that way. And to like revisit this promo and to see them being exactly essentially what I remember them to be was almost like, I, I don't know, like I don't have that good of a memory. So just seeing that their energy was that pure that I could remember what it felt like to see D generation X on stage. Like, wow. Yeah. They really were that. It's like, <laughs> they were just this complete destructive. Yeah. Villainous, obnoxious force. They were so good at being exactly that, but not, not destructive and villainous in the way that you would expect the undertaker to be destructive and villainous. Right. Great point. Because, Great point. Yeah. Because you're setting up these guys who are essentially like, they have like a, a frat-ish type of energy to them. Yeah, big time. Right? So in a way, you're setting up like uh, like frat guys versus goth guys kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, it's true. That where, is totally true. Where you're you're like these guys are these guys are so annoying that they are worse than a guy who identifies as evil. Yes. Oh my God. And what an incredible thing to do that. Yeah. You're basically rooting for them to just get taken down for Undertaker to come back at any moment. But yeah, that's the one of the thing about that promo is they do not give you that satisfaction. They ride it all the way to the end. Well, that's another, another great parallel to the sort of eighties slasher 
cliche, right? <laughs> like, they make you root for the monster. It's so true. You're like, yeah, it, I it hate these kids so much, I wish some monster would appear out of the void and destroy them. What a hilarious thing, too, that it's it, the parallel really works because it's so often based in that, like, frat culture, too, as well. Just you always think of the camp counselors by the lake just partying and getting naked in sleeping bags and just, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Eating comically large sausages. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So... So that's so that's Shawn Michaels and and uh, we we've we've skated around it a little bit but the Undertaker for years was just a spooky dude like originally yeah. he was a literal undertaker like an old west undertaker do you remember his original attire where he would wear like the frock coat oh yeah and yeah. the and big, the pur- yeah. the purple tie and purple tie dude classic like yes. purple kitchen gloves kind of but yeah and like a a little like sleeveless shirt with a collar on it like he was supposed to visually evoke an actual funeral professional and he would make coffins and they would show him he wouldn't really talk he would say rest in peace you know but he would be back and he would be literally hammering together a casket and Paul Bearer his longtime manager would be the one who would say oh my undertaker will bury you alive Yokozuna (laughs) or whoever it is you know yes yes (laughs) Um, and that was the extent of it and the undertaker because of the time period he was in didn't have a history you know he was just a spooky old west zombie guy yeah and yeah, character was strong enough for him to literally just exist as he was. That, right. was. that was enough for a long time. But then we start to get to the point where we're blurring the line between what's real and what's fictional with the other characters on the show. And Undertaker starts to stick out like a sore thumb because he's, oh, good point. Yeah. he's a relic of this previous period, this Saturday morning cartoon kind of period where, you know, you weren't asking, hey, where did this guy come from? What does this guy do when he leaves the arena? Like, yeah, what's his deal? Yeah, he, that's such a that's such a good question. Does I, he I, he exists as that? Yeah. Right. Does he get into his rental car dressed as an old west undertaker <laughs> and drive to the best western and go to bed? Like, yeah, yeah, that's begs, such a good. What is he outside of the ring? You right. know, and and that question had never really been asked before. It just didn't matter. We just accepted the fact that he was this creepy character. But now you're that's such a great point. The fact that he does stick out like a sore thumb. Questions were being asked and yeah, we needed that backstory to flesh out the character. And right. Man, we, we got it. We yeah. really got it. And we got a hell of a backstory. Now, I want to I want to make it clear, The Undertaker in real life, as far as I know, never burned down any buildings. Yes, yes. I would yeah, okay. That's but, good to know. <laughs> but what they're doing is but Paul Bearer actually was a mortician. That part's true. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So Undertaker, the the story that they concoct for The Undertaker, and the way that this happens is that The Undertaker's longtime manager, Paul Bearer, essentially what he does is he stands at ringside with his, uh, like his urn, mm-hmm. right? And he raises oh, yeah. the urn over his head, and The Undertaker uh, is given strength by it somehow. It's unclear, right? <laughs> yes. But... At some point in the mid-90s, The Undertaker starts to display a little bit more independence. Yeah, agency. Agency, exactly. 
he doesn't want, you know, he will disagree with Paul Bearer from time to time. And Paul Bearer is clearly frustrated with it, but they always reconcile. And then at some point in like 96, Paul Bearer betrays the undertaker to side with mankind. Oh, so you have mankind and Paul Bearer teaming up against the undertaker and undertaker and Paul Bearer at this point have this intense rivalry going on. Vader also gets involved. It's this Vader, whole thing. Oh my God. Yeah. It's this whole thing. And we still don't know what is going on between undertaker and Paul Bearer. We just know that they used to be on the same side and they no longer are, but we're starting to explore other characters' backstories and it reaches this point where they decide, okay, we're going to explore how Paul Bearer and The Undertaker met each other. And what's yeah. more, we're going to explore why The Undertaker is the way that he is. Yeah. And the way that they do this, we get the story that they come up with, we see it from two different perspectives. We get this, this perspective from Paul Bearer, we get his version of it, and we get the Undertaker's version of it. Yeah. Which is so interesting to me. It's it's like some kind of weird pro wrestling Rashomon. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Because yeah, I, w I was gonna ask you too, like, because one of the uh, so one of the clips that you sent me to watch was uh, the Undertaker just backstage doing his like you said his side of the story. So it was like, but I, I wanted to ask, how unusual was it at that point? For him to do something like that. Because so I, unusual. I, okay. Because for me, it was very unusual for me to see. I, I don't remember him ever doing something like that outside of the weird motorcycle era that we don't talk about. Right, the Fred uh, Durst but, period. Yeah, that just, I really can't, like, I was thinking about it the other day in preparation for this episode. Like, I was thinking, like, what if David Lynch one day, like, literally just start, started making, like, American Pie? Like, that was the, as if he was just like, <laughs> This is what you guys want, right? Like, I don't know. And just told us all the secrets of his feet. It's like, no, no. Do you not understand? That is not. So it was, what a weird era of Undertaker. But anyway, well, I, I digress. Well, I, well actually, like, yeah. and I, I might cut this out because it has nothing to do with the storyline that we're, that we're talking about today. But that was actually an attempt to do the thing we were talking about where they bring in the personals, the person's real life. Because, I see. Because I see. Undertaker in real life is like a dorky dad who loved Limp Bizkit and motorcycles. <laughs> And that's incredible that he <laughs> he's still great. I mean, like, the character is still great. That was a weird era. I'm glad he was himself for a while. But the character is too strong. I think that we've learned that. And, like, again, his backstory is just so great, what they did in this 90s era. And, yeah. like, his mic work was great. I was looking at the YouTube comments, too, and I, everyone was just blown away. They were just like, whoa, like, Tigger should have had more mic work. Like, he's so talented. And that was true. He was very captivating to watch. He told the story in, like, a very emotional way. And uh, yeah. I was feeling it. I, I, I myself was impressed. In a very naturalistic way. Because the classic Undertaker promo is, it's very slow. Yeah. And he <laughs> yeah, does his point. spooky yeah. voice. And he <laughs> says, I will drag you to hell. And, like... <laughs> That's pretty much the classic Undertaker promo. And yes, he, yes, he sort of rambles in a spooky way for like three to four minutes and he caps it off with rest in peace. And that was the classic yep. Undertaker promo. And that's and what he'd done for enough. years. Yep. Yep. But this was so jarring because Undertaker is clearly in this video is emotionally affected. He yes. keeps like fussing with his hair. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he seems like nervous and restless. Yeah. And he's not doing the quote-unquote Undertaker voice. 
Yeah. You know, he sounds like The Undertaker, but he's not doing an affectation and he's not trying to be spooky. He's just talking about some shit that happened to him when he was a kid that's still fucking him up. Yeah, and it's some heavy shit, too. Yeah, I and, mean, like, they're incredible the way he describes it. And he talks about, um, he talks about how he had a younger brother, and uh, we sh- I should mention that this whole thing, this whole moment that we're about to uh, come to, Paul yes. Bearer has been trying to force The Undertaker to come back to his side and join his stable of guys alongside Mankind Invader, and mm-hmm. he's saying that if Undertaker doesn't, he's going to reveal the secret and undertaker Mm -hmm. like kind of complies because he doesn't want this secret to get out. And eventually he can't take it anymore. And that's when Paul bearer spills the beans that the secret is that his brother Kane is alive. I see. And And so that's when we learn that. Right. And that's when we learn a, that Kane is a thing and B the undertaker (laughs) has a history and can feel emotions like guilt and sorrow and shame and fear and undertaker in this promo is talking about how he had a younger brother and he was always trying to look out for his younger brother but yeah he tells this story that he and his brother he tried to look out for his brother but they you know their parents owned a funeral home where paul bearer worked and he was like the apprentice right and he comes up with this, you know, he tells this story that he and Kane uh, were playing around one day with uh, chemicals that they found in the embalming room. Yes. And he says his father came out and he told them to stop. He told them how dangerous it was and how it could start a fire. And he said, you know, he told the undertaker that he should know better. He's the young, he's the older brother. He should be, you know, he should know better than to do something like this. So, Undertaker then says that later he saw Kane specifically playing with the flammable chemicals despite yes. the fact that he knew what was going on. And Undertaker yes. implies that Kane started the fire and that Kane might have in fact been trying to start a fire. Yeah, it it's kind of seems like there's something intentional about it from the way that he describes it. Like yeah. it just seems or that in that it was totally out of his control, like as much as he wanted to stop it. And I, he kind of makes that point like a lot. It still seems like it, like overall, and that's kind of what makes the performance work. He seems guilty. Like he genuinely seems guilty about what happened, which is like, right. Because it's, it's his, pretty affecting. it's his supposed, it's supposed to be his younger brother. He's supposed to be looking out for him. He's supposed to be keeping him safe, but undertaker implies that there is something fundamentally off about Kane that he was drawn to the act of starting these fires and there was nothing he could do to stop this from happening. Oh, shoot. And and he says that there was the fire. Oh, okay. the, the whole funeral home goes up. Undertaker uh, manages to escape, but he says his parents and Kane were consumed in the fire. Yes, yes. And he says that on that night, that was the night that he learned about the power of death and the power of darkness. Yeah. And he talks about how Paul Bearer then took him to see his mother's corpse. Yeah. And he, that was pretty crazy because he says, like, I didn't want to or like I was a kid and I didn't need to see that or something along those lines. But he says it, it, he makes it sound like Paul Bearer basically made him. Yeah. And he and he um, he says, you know, Paul Bearer showed me my mother's body 
And he goes, from that point, he understood the power of darkness and the power of death. So that's, wow. that's the Undertaker's secret origin from his perspective. I see. Yes. Now, yes. Uh, Paul Bearer has a different perspective. Oh, yes, he does. And Paul Bearer claims that Cain was a sweet little boy. (laughs) And the Undertaker was, he actually says, a bad seed, a demon seed. So Paul Bearer claims that Undertaker is the one with something fundamentally wrong with him. Yeah. He claims that, no, the Undertaker didn't learn about the power of death and darkness through the death of his family, the Undertaker was born into death and darkness. He was just always that way. Yeah, He was always that way, and that is what caused the Undertaker to start the fire on purpose that consumes the family. Mm-hmm. And he definitely portrays Cain as, like, uh, helpless. Like, it's so sad he's such a victim, that kind of thing. Right, and that's what's so interesting is that that's the thread that connects these two narratives because everything else about them is so different, but both of them contain the element that Cain was a victim in some way. Undertaker, Undertaker was trying to protect Cain. Paul Bearer says that he couldn't protect Cain from the Undertaker. The Undertaker says he couldn't protect Cain from himself. In either case, both of them carry this idea that Cain suffered because of circumstances beyond his control. You are so right. Yeah, it's true. And everything else, that's the one thing that that's the one thing that that threads all this together. And this is what Undertaker is going through. The mm. Undertaker is going through his longtime best friend and professional, I guess business partner, right? Yeah. Um is trying to blackmail him, was first trying to blackmail him with what he assumes is the knowledge. Undertaker assumes that his best friend is trying to blackmail him with the knowledge that he killed his younger brother. Yeah, he's trying to guilt it out right. of him, basically. But yeah. then he finds out that no, in fact, his best friend has been lying to him about the fact that his brother died, which is even That's worse. That's right. He didn't, he didn't know that King was alive. Right. Undertaker assumed that the secret that Paul Bearer was going to reveal was that uh, Undertaker did something that indirectly led to the death of his family. That's, That's right. What, That's what the Undertaker thought it was. And the secret turned out to be so much worse yeah. that yeah. not only is this brother, this sink for sorrow and guilt and shame. Not only is he still alive, but he has been suffering for decades yeah. and blames the Undertaker for that suffering. Yeah, and the Undertaker had no idea. And the Undertaker had no idea about any of this. So the Undertaker yeah. is fucked up. Undertaker <laughs> is going through some shit right now. Big time, very this much. is not the time for Shawn Michaels to be antagonizing him. That's a great point. Yes, this is the worst possible time for Shawn Michaels to be doing that. Right, and that throws everything into sharp relief, right? Because we have Undertaker, who's hurting in a hundred different ways. We have Paul Bearer, who's threatening to 
bring Kane after the Undertaker. We have Shawn Michaels antagonizing the Undertaker, poking the bear. Oh right? yeah. So this sets up a rivalry between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Shawn uh, antagonizes Undertaker, then runs away. And Undertaker gets sick of Sean running away from him. He needs something to pour all of his frustrations, all of his hate, all of his rage, all of his pain into. Oh, yeah. It's building up. He needs a place to put it. Right. And the place that they come up with to put it is Hell in a Cell. Oh, and what a place to put it. Oh, my God. This is the first Hell in a Cell match. Wait, ever? Ever. Oh my gosh, so, I had no idea. So a Hell in a Cell, for listeners who may not know, is it is the upgrade to the Steel Cage match. <laughs> as, if you, as if it needed one. This is the next level, it's true. It's, well, you know a Steel Cage match? You can win a Steel Cage match by escaping the cage. If you can climb up and over, you win. It's true. You can uh, you can you can feasibly escape, you know, and and Shawn Michaels has friends, you know. Triple H could lean over the side of of the cage and help pull him over, and as yeah. long as his feet touch the floor, it's fine. But that won't do in this case. The Undertaker needs a battleground where his opponent cannot get away from him, <laughs> and because Shawn Michaels believes his own bullshit. He agrees to face The Undertaker in a match where he can't possibly escape. Oh my gosh, what an incredible thing to agree to. What a terrifying prospect. My right. god. Because if you think about if you think about Shawn Michaels' style, some you know, Shawn Michaels made a career out of beating people bigger than him. Yeah, no, that's true. But he did it by you know, outmaneuvering them. He would uh you know, he would duck out of the ring. He would recover. You know, he would use the environment to his advantage to outmaneuver and outlast his opponent. He's yeah. putting himself in a situation where he can't do that. The Undertaker will never be able to not get him. <laughs> it's true. He's literally trapped. And uh, truly, for the people who have never seen the Hell in a Cell, it, I, I truly recommend you Google it because it's a spectacle to behold this giant cage over the ring you really think i mean like it's big but you it's cramped inside like there's no question you cannot just get out it's very restricting right it's uh it's like a 20 foot cage and there's maybe i don't know two or three feet on any one side of the ring that you can move on exactly but if you roll out of the ring and you try to move, somebody can grab you and just, you know, smash your face into the steel. Like, yes, exactly. And you can't climb up to get away because there's a, a ceiling and, you it's know, a roof, yeah. there's a roof. You can't get out. And it seems like uh, the, the only example I could think of, the analogy I'm coming up with is a bullfight. You know, <laughs> these guys antagonize a bull. Yeah. And they they tease it and they poke at it and they stab it and they wave their cape at it and they're trying to piss off the bull to the point that it charges them and then they move out of the way at the last second. And that's what Shawn Michaels, as a heel, did. Wow. But, but a bullfighter, you know, a bullfighting arena is fucking huge. It's very, very big, yes. Right. <laughs> I was just thinking that. You would not... <laughs> 
you would not piss off a bull to that extent and then get into a 20 by 20 square ring with exactly, that bull. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is a recipe for disaster. Because maybe, maybe you dodge it the first time, but then it turns around and you're in a corner and you're going to die. Exactly. You cannot do- continuously dodge it every single time. And it's at this point, ah, man, I'm just, this is just the person I am. I'm sorry. But like the horror movie buildup to this point, it's, it's working on me right now because I feel the undertaker's frustration. I feel the rage. I, I feel now the confinement of being in that space. And just as the overconfident camp counselors in a horror movie, I feel Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels essentially clueless of what he's getting into, overconfident, like, yeah, I can handle this. And just, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like you said, it's like Friday the 13th and it's like the jock guy, like the, the, you know, his girlfriend is concerned about, about Jason Voorhees, but he's like, whatever, babe, I'm the captain of the football team. I'll protect you. And it's like, no, no, it's not working out that way, man. (laughs) That's how I feel about Shawn Michaels in this situation. He has gotten himself into, yeah, basically he's in a cell with the Jason Voorhees of wrestling. Yep. It's not going to turn out well. <laughs> right. And that's, you, you said it when we first started, right? Pro wrestling storytelling is so simple. Yeah. Like, yeah, deceptively so, yeah. Deceptively so. You have, all you have to do is create two characters, put them opposite each other, and if you've, cre- if you've, crafted those characters and those motivations well enough, we are salivating at the mouth. Yes. As if there's any other place to salivate. That was a weird thing to say. <laughs> Good point. Um, but but you're, we can't wait to see what happens. It's just, it's the anticipation is so, so high because of what they've done. Right. And they have, they know, and this is where pro wrestling, it always strikes me as so weird when pro wrestling doesn't pay off what it sets up because, ah. because they can. You know, the heartbreak of, and maybe this is why I don't give a shit about real sports, like, you have no guarantee that a great underdog story will end in a satisfying way. You know? But in pro wrestling... Yeah, what a great point. Yeah, you're right. In pro wrestling, you can. You can make sure that every story ends in a satisfying way, or if it doesn't, you use that dissatisfaction to build up the next story. Yeah, good point. You have a guarantee that, like, the Patriots of wrestling aren't just going to win every single time. Right, (laughs) right, exactly. That's a a really good point. Right, so the fact that what what pro wrestling is essentially promising you, what it wants you to, you know, this whole thing, like uh, like a rat pressing that button for, uh, there was was that... uh, I'm fucking butchering this, but there was an experiment where they figured out that they wired rats' brains right to this button, and when they pressed the button, they got this rush of dopamine or whatever it is, right? Oh yeah, no, I know what you're talking. And about. they yeah, found, yeah. and they found the rats would continue pressing that button, even if it only worked one out of every ten times. They would still ignore food and ignore other kinds of stimulus yeah. to press that button. And what pro Just wrestling keep trying to get it, yeah, yeah. What pro wrestling, because you get it sometimes, and what pro wrestling does, it's the same thing that uh, gambling does. You know, mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that it happens sometimes is enough to get that's some enough. people yeah, coming back coming every back. time. Yeah. And what pro wrestling does is it sells you on the idea 
that if you watch this show, if you buy this pay-per-view, if you buy this ticket, you might get the payoff that you've been waiting for. You might get this group catharsis, you and all of these other people together feeling the same relief at the same time, the same excitement. It's an incredible feeling. Yeah. That's a really great way to put it. I I totally agree. That's exactly what it is. And that's what they're selling you. And they have, that's what they're setting up here. And they have set it up so well. Oh yes. I completely agree. If I were, you know, if I had disposable income in 1997 and I were of an age to buy a pro wrestling pay-per-view and if WWE were still, you know, doing pay-per-views instead of like a Netflix model, which is what they do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would be ready. I This story and these characters, I would put down my hard-earned money to see this. I totally agree. To see, this to see how this me. plays totally. out. And it's what else can you what else can you say? You know, all the rest of that stuff was a commercial. It was a, a long form, beautiful, partially improvised, partially scripted commercial for yeah, like thirty five minutes of sublimely acted stage combat. And yeah. I'm so ready for it. Yeah, me too, man. I got to agree. It's I. They really. They sold me. I am in. I am hooked. I gotta see what happens. All right. So should we? Uh, should we? Should we get ready for the actual uh, for the match then? I think it's time. Yes. Okay. We are watching the Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. It is the very first Hell in a Cell match. The show is Bad Blood, nineteen ninety seven. And if you want to wow. watch along with us, uh, we are going to uh, press play in three. Two, one, and go. Here we go. So we see uh, Sergeant Slaughter, who at the time was the quote unquote commissioner of the of the WWF. Look at his little mm. his little loafers <laughs> with with black socks. Yeah. Black <laughs> socks with those loafers in the pants. I, I, he seems comfy. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> So what they're doing is they are they're checking under the ring because the stipulation of this match has been that no one goes in or out of the cage, right? There's only oh, so they're checking to see that there's no person under the stage, right? Because Shawn Michaels has had his friends sort of uh, sort of helping him out. So yeah. the idea is that you know we have to keep uh, we have to keep that from happening. So they're checking under the ring to make sure that. Shawn Michaels isn't hiding any friends or anything Uh under there. Now, all weapons are legal, so you can do anything you want to your opponent in this match, but you just can't have anybody help you because this is supposed to be a one-on-one match. What is Triple H wearing? Yo, I... That's... (laughs) Oh, my God. Looking like Jerry Seinfeld in the pirate shirt. I know. I was just thinking it does look like the puffy shirt. It really, truly does. He, oh my gosh. Okay, let's see. It's always a thing what Shawn Michaels is wearing, so let's see. That's... Oh, so Shawn Michaels uh, this evening is wearing a one-shoulder uh, <coughs> armored gauntlet yeah. with chains <laughs> and chaps with mirrors yeah. on them. Wow. I... Wow. 
Yeah, he kind of low-key looks like a character from Mortal Kombat, honestly. He I does kind of look... It's it's Mortal Kombat, it's Mad Max, it's a lot yes, of things. Yes, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> now, I, I'd like to... We, you know, we talked about Triple H. China's right behind Triple H. Oh, yes. And one of the sort of forgotten members of Degeneration X, ravishing Rick Rude, bringing up the rear. Oh, Rick, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. Rick, yeah, I completely forgot. Rick Rude was only uh, part of DX for a short amount of time. Uh, he was Shawn Michaels' kind of personal bodyguard. <laughs> but uh, Rick That's Rude kind of is one of my all-time favorite pro wrestlers. Rick Rude is so fucking good, and... Even though you wouldn't know it by looking at him here because he's dressed like a high school principal. <laughs> but Rick Rude in his prime was kind of like Shawn Michaels times a million. Just, wow, what? Really? Just the 1980s sex symbol you could possibly think of. The dude looked like triple Tom Selleck. Like <laughs> this incredible mustache this ridiculous bodybuilder's physique, a fucking sailor tattoo on his arm. Wow. Like, he seems like he really dialed it back for this for whatever reason. Yeah. And now, I want to talk about this. This is crucially important, I think. They could have, we see now they're bringing the cage down. Right? Yes, yes, it's coming down. Um, they could have brought the cage down. The cage has a door on it. They could have brought <laughs> the cage down before Sean walked out. Or That's they... a great point. That... <laughs> Or they could have brought the cage down after Undertaker came out. But they're bringing it down now. That's what so an interesting time. Not when they're both in it yet. What, what? Because I think they want us to have this moment. We're looking at Sean isolated, alone oh, in this cage. And we even I get see. that shot of China and Rick Rude and Triple H watching from the sidelines. And the, the cage falls like a curtain and obscures them. And I yeah. think it's actually very deft visual storytelling about Shawn Michaels and how he's trapped, how he's isolated from his yeah, friends. He really can't get out in his support systems or whatever. They're outside the cage. There's no getting in. And now Undertaker has taken the, he's taken all the lights down. Oh yeah. Part of the intimidation factor of the Undertaker is the control he exhibits over the environment, right? Yeah, yeah, good point. Undertaker makes the whole building his his own. Yeah, Shawn Michaels. One of the things that made him so amazing to watch when we were younger, why so many of my friends that just that was their favorite wrestler was the Undertaker, and you can't really blame anyone because he's just like he is the walking myth of wrestling. Like that just has always been what he was, and even learning his backstory hasn't even changed that. Like it just it only furthers the fact that he's kind of this human myth. Walking amongst wrestlers, like, even with this kind of thing that grounds him as this real person to some degree. Right. He still, he still does have this larger-than-life kind of stature to him. Right. Even, like, with the lights turning off and the fog and everything, like, yeah, he is truly intimidating to right. share a ring with. He's, he's showing us that the show itself, right, is at his mercy. Yeah, he can bring yeah. he can bring the lights down. He can bring the show itself to a halt, which is interesting because Sean, one of Shawn Michaels' nicknames is the Showstopper, and the, he's being faced with somebody who literally, <laughs> literally, yeah, <laughs> has the power to stop the show. And that's so good. 
we haven't seen Sean in about a minute, and now we're seeing yeah. it over Sean's shoulder as we've been so focused on the Undertaker. Yeah. And Undertaker comes through the uh, the door of the cage, and we just see the Undertaker, and he slowly brings his hands up. I love it. It's so iconic. It yep. just looks so good. It looks so good, and we're not even hearing the music, which is doing so much of the heavy lifting. <laughs> you know, true. sometimes pro wrestling entrances without the music can look very goofy. It's almost like oh, a, yeah. a Godzilla movie without the music. Like, it, it, it's doing so much of the heavy lifting. And now look at Sean. He's terrified. He's, I love that. He's terrified. He's really, and really I love how he glances up as if he's reminding us to look up to see that yeah, there's a ceiling. Yeah, you can't get out that way. Yep. Wow. And now we have the we have the referee uh, locking the door. And Sean I comes love it. I love it. Oh, dude, I love this. I live for this shit. He's panicking. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> he's like, hey, the match didn't start yet. Can I leave? Can I fucking... Can I forfeit? Can I do anything? Like, Shawn Michaels at this point is willing to forfeit the match, to lose the match by forfeit rather than take the physical punishment he knows he will face if the cage door is locked. This is so funny. This is literally like someone in Florida, like Florida man. He embodies Florida man right now. He's going outside. He's like, you know, I can wrestle an alligator. I can absolutely wrestle an alligator. And the moment you are in front of the alligator, you're just like, no, I can't. No, this is a mistake. This is a huge mistake. But he's locked in a room with the alligator now. There's no getting out. And dude, Undertaker pacing towards him right now. I am living for this. I yep. just, I, <laughs> We've just started. And Undertaker is slowly approaching him because Undertaker knows he can take his time. Sean can't get away from him. There's no getting out. Right. This is really, this is, I totally see why you chose this because what a horror movie moment right at the beginning here. It's just so, oh yep. man. And there Sean, we go. Oh. <laughs> Sean uh, tried to use his speed. Ducked under the Undertaker, ran at him, took a kick right to the face, and immediately collapses. Straight into the big boot, yeah. Straight into the big boot, and now uh, Undertaker's got him, throws him into the corner, smashes his head. Shawn Michaels is already on spaghetti legs. Yeah, he's so wobbly. He's good at that. Yeah, Shawn Michaels has the ability to make his opponent look like a million bucks. He just has to be motivated to do it. That's the best quality for a performer. There's no question. And he just bounces off again there. Shawn Michaels. Yeah, he's, like, he's rubbery. He's rubbery. <laughs> he's generally rubbery. And we're like 30 seconds into this match, and Shawn Michaels has done nothing but show ass the entire time. <laughs> and you have to imagine that for the people who, like we were doing, are just like begging for The Undertaker to destroy this piece of shit, they're yeah. living for it too. And here's Shawn. We get a flurry of offense from Shawn because it is important he's to remember back. he's tough, he's fast, he's strong, he's smart. Like, he is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, he's not just some nobody challenging The Undertaker. It actually does make sense that it's him because, you know, he's... And it seems like at this point, he's on a real hot streak from what I heard him talking about, like, in the promo. Yep, former former world champion, two-time, three-time world champion, whatever it is. And we just want to be reminded briefly that Shawn Michaels is a very capable wrestler. And we got that flurry there, but... We had the Undertaker shrug it off. Yep, already he's coming back. Already he clotheslined him down. Already the dynamic has shifted again. <laughs> right, so well, these are all, you know, normally a match is structured 
in a few different parts, right? Generally speaking, you see the baby face start the match in control because we want mm -hmm. the people to be invested right away. They, we want the people to see that their hero is, you know, capable of doing what they want him to do. So yes. they call that part of the match the shine. You're shining up the baby face, right? Then mm -hmm. you have the heel take control uh, with a thumb to the eye or something like that. And then you get the idea that, okay... Oh. The he oh the old school here Undertaker walking on the top rope and uh, yo that really yeah sorry to distract what you were saying but what an awesome moment that was so great yeah so uh, the shine is when the babyface shows you their fire and shows you that they are when the chips are down probably the better wrestler than the heel right yeah it shows us that we're right to get invested in the babyface yeah then the heel takes control and that shows us that we're right to root against the heel. You know, it reinforces yeah. that the heel is maybe smarter, maybe craftier, and definitely meaner than the baby face. Yeah. So the next part is uh, is the what they call the heat, right? That's when the heel is in control and we get motivated to see the baby face come back. And they'll tease the comeback a couple of times. Then the baby face hits the comeback. That's the climax of the match. And either the baby face pulls through or the heel reverses it at the last second and yeah. lives to fight another day. So that's the, the classic structure of the match. Now, they've already gone through the shine. We had the heat briefly, and now we're back to the shine again. Yeah, you're, you're so right. I mean, the entire time that you've been talking, it's just been complete domination by The Undertaker. Incredible move after incredible move. And again, Shawn Michaels taking these absurd falls yep. that just look just so so brutal <laughs> that right we, now he's outside of the ring he's just totally suffering yep and we just yeah, but you're right the entire structure that you just explained it's already happened it's, yes wow yeah so we've already um we've already thrown the standard structure of a match like this you know, a match like this between two main event wrestlers, no matter what two main event wrestlers, is generally expected to be somewhat of a of a fair fight. You know, a 50-50 match. And Undertaker has oh God, so far shrugged off Shawn Michaels. We saw Big time. there to the fact that to the point that this is teasing things that don't normally get teased. Normally we tease a comeback when the heel is in control and they yeah. just teased a reversal while the baby face was in control because yeah. we saw Sean thumb him in the eye and Undertaker stumbled back for a second, but then instead grabbed Sean and threw him to the floor. Yeah. So it's true. It's that, that, that it did remind you exactly as you said that Sean Michaels, he's, he's this capable wrestler and he is a genuine opponent. But in some ways, it only served to further show just how pissed Undertaker is, just how unstoppable he is in this moment, because even that, just it did not even slow him down at all. And now he's using the cage to just punish Shawn Michaels as much as possible, throwing him into it over and over again. It's so brutal to watch, dude. Yep. This is just... It's punishing. I mean, yep. the whole thing is just punishing so far. We saw we saw Sean briefly. He tried to climb up the cage, and <laughs> despite the I fact that there's that a moment, ceiling, yes. and he climbed up, he thumbed Undertaker in the eye, and Undertaker grabbed him by the tights and just threw him to the floor, and he landed yeah, he's badly. So desperate. It's so clear he's so desperate. 
Oh my God! Here we go. Yep. All right. Undertaker is like... teasing a power bomb or a pile driver on the floor, and uh, again we see oh. Sean is he's. You know, he's my goodness. Sean was, it looked oh like a powerbomb. Sean managed to counter. He grabbed the cage and now he's just viciously punching the Undertaker, but he gets slammed into the corner again and wow. again. Wow, and he's down. He's wow. down again. And you see how Shawn Michaels with these flashes of brilliance, you could see how in a regular match where he wasn't surrounded by steel... These might be genuine yeah. swings and momentum, but the it's hubris true. of, you know, <laughs> essentially locking himself in a cage with an angry bull is destroying him. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's really amazing to see because it's, he realized it right at the beginning. I love that he realized it, that he just messed up. He immediately knew. And for him to just continuously realize throughout the course of this match is just an incredible thing to watch. I mean, it's, it's, I cannot overstate just like the horror movie feel of the inevitability of it all. It just really feels like the second he walked in there, it was just, you're screwed, man. I can't believe you actually did it. Like, <laughs> yes. And this is something that he chose. This is something that he did. Exactly. You know, he exactly. created this whole situation. You know, he didn't create the whole Paul Bearer and Kane situation, but he absolutely inserted himself into it and made himself yeah, a viable exactly. hate sink. Yes, yes, yes. He totally, it was, again, the worst possible time to get on The Undertaker's bad side. Yep. <laughs> Let me sh- he, he swipes away the camera because he's yep. so pissed. And knocks That's over the cameraman, move. yep. Um, <laughs> one thing I did want to mention is that Undertaker despite the fact that he is so angry, is keeping a slow, measured pace. We saw yes. Sean shove Undertaker into the into the cage wall, but Undertaker immediately bounced back and took him down again with a clothesline. So, yeah. once again, we're seeing that Shawn Michaels is no dummy, and he's smart and he's capable, but this was a bad choice of venue for him. Yeah, it's I th- like, and I think it really that comes down to a lot of it for the match so far. It's just the setting, what he agreed to do, was the worst thing that he could have agreed it's to like, do. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, a lion. You could say, well, who who would win in a fight between a lion and an alligator? And you'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. And then you're like, oh, also it's in the water. Then you're like, oh, I guess exactly. probably the alligator. No. <laughs> that is such a great way to put it. That's exactly right. That is exactly what we're witnessing. Is like, yeah, this is just prime Undertaker territory, and he's been milking, like, literally for the last, I don't even know, like, seven, eight minutes, just milking the fact that the cage is around them, just punishing Shawn Michaels by throwing him into it over and over again or utilizing it in some way. Yep. It's, wow. And we just saw uh, Undertaker... Uh, maybe finally starting to get a little uh, a little tired, maybe moving a little bit more slowly, went to uh, yeah. to, to jump into Sean, and Sean ducked. Undertaker hit his face in the cage, fell to the ground, and Sean immediately landed on top of him and landed a bunch more punches. And now we're finally seeing Undertaker maybe taking some damage, at least enough where he's not immediately back on his feet, and Sean yeah. immediately rolls back into the ring, puts some distance between him and Undertaker, Undertaker has to climb up on the apron. He's putting the ropes between him and Sean. Sean mm-hmm. stays on the other side of the Undertaker. And oh, this is... <laughs> my God. That was awesome. 
Yeah, almost like a Stone Cold Stunner, right? Or a neck breaker. Yeah. He grabs Sean's head and drops it across the top rope, and Sean flies away. But Sean is still 20 feet away from Undertaker. Undertaker's still on yeah. the outside of the ring. Sean outside. can breathe. He can collect Ooh, himself. There we go. Yep, and Sean knocks Undertaker off the apron into the cage door. And now we see Sean is getting a minute to think, a minute to breathe, a minute to regain yes. his composure. All I can think is the, uh, what is it, Star Wars Episode 3, the, I have the high ground, Anakin! <laughs> I have the high ground! Like, that's Shawn Michaels right now in yep. the ring. He dives through the ropes and knocks Undertaker into the cage. So this is where we're seeing the brilliance of Shawn Michaels. He's such a smart oh. wrestler. Everything that he's done... Oh. <laughs> he wow. climbs up the cage, uses the height, and drops down to drop an elbow on Undertaker. Every move he's done Finally to the Undertaker, the cage in some way. yeah. Every move that he's hit the Undertaker with has involved knocking the Undertaker into the cage. So he's coupling his own damage with the damage of the cage. He's using the environment to his advantage. This is where Shawn Michaels is smart and he's dangerous. He's using the he's advantage, utilizing the limited space that he has, as if it were more space. Finally, by keeping that distance of him being in the ring and Undertaker outside, right. it's like he finally knows what to do with himself because there's more distance. Yeah. Oh, right. and oh, and oh now my, and uh, he's picking up the ring steps to try to hit Undertaker with those. But here's where we see uh, hitting Undertaker with the ring steps. Here's where we see the danger of Shawn Michaels as a competitor. We see how he's able to beat opponents who are bigger than him by taking advantage of his own speed, his own maneuverability, his ability to think on his feet. We're seeing why Shawn Michaels is a dangerous opponent. Yes. It would be... It was great to watch the just inevitability of him being crushed by Undertaker for a while, but it couldn't continue that way forever. And like being able to see him as this competent force against him is absolutely necessary. And he's doing it in the best way, too, and just like, yeah, utilizing those steps, playing dirty but smart at the same time. Like, right, because yeah. he's not beating the Undertaker fair and square. You know, this is a match no, no, no. where, you know, no holds barred, right? Oh, Shawn Michaels trying to pile drive the Undertaker onto the steps there. Um, again, oh, this oh, is oh. legal according to oh. this match. Oh, and he takes it, the pile driver, yeah. right on the steps. So, again, Pretty this brutal. is, yeah, this is, of course, legal according to the rules of this match. And yeah. it looks like the cameraman got knocked over again. Dude, it's just, he's so rude to the kid. It's kind of funny. It really adds to the dynamic of the character, actually. Yeah, the fact and it, that he shoving the camera <laughs> and it, it adds to the claustrophobic feel right because not only oh, are yeah they, yeah i love it they're constantly bumping into each other and the cage and now the cameraman as well um i'm huge on that stuff i love like the way that, the, that feels when you see it it just it's great you really feel in it yep and even though undertaker was also using the cage to his advantage uh which you know is maybe not the good guy way to do things <laughs> Sean is doing one better. You know, he's using the ring yes. steps, picking them up and using them as a weapon. Um, which, again, even though it's maybe legal by the rules of the match, it helps to remind us that Sean is the bad guy. Yes, right? you're right. And we have to do that a couple times during this match because it's important. It's important to remember because Sean is so much smaller than The Undertaker. And yeah, yeah, if he's yeah, yeah. just getting beaten up and he's so good at getting beaten up we're going to start yeah. to sympathize with Sean. So I think it's smart 
to have Sean periodically show off his mean streak and his competence so we remain invested in being on the Undertaker's side. Yes. But I love this moment that's happening now that I can just see. I hope it backfires because he gets overconfident. He brings Undertaker back in the ring, and I guess he's getting a chair or something. He's going to try and pull on the punishment. But I think as soon as Undertaker gets his bearings and they're in that close space again, we're going to see some reversal. That's my guess. Yes, He's got the chair, and uh, I don't know if Sean mentioned this in the the Shawn Michaels promo, but their uh, rivalry started because of an accidental chair shot. Shawn Michaels, oh. Shawn Michaels was trying to hit Bret Hart with a chair and hit Undertaker with a chair. and Oh, okay. I think that that, yeah. Maybe they didn't say that exactly, but, but that, they hinted at that. But that's how it started. And instead of being a normal person and being like, hey, Undertaker, sorry I hit you with a chair, Shawn doubles down <laughs> and decides to say like, hey, who cares if I hit the Undertaker with a chair? Like, I'll hit whoever I want with whatever I want. And that's how, <laughs> that's how this whole mess starts. Yeah, the classic douchebag move of the doubling down. I meant to do it. <laughs> yep. It was no. In fact, it's a good thing that I did it. It's really awesome. So. <laughs> oh, and here we go. Shawn Michaels' no. first first attempted pin of the match, and Undertaker kicks out. We saw earlier on. Uh, we weren't really talking about it. Undertaker attempted a few little half-assed pins. That I think were yeah. just sort of uh, psychological, uh, you know, moves to show that he was in yeah. a, in control. That's how I saw it. One of the pins, he wasn't even really on his body. He was just like holding him down with his hand, kind of. It's like, yeah, he wasn't taking it that seriously, that's for sure. Yep, and and I think you were right. We saw Sean hit him a couple times with the chair. Then he threw the chair out of the ring instead of keeping it where yeah, it was handy. And... Uh, just got Undertaker back on his feet and started punching him, and Undertaker immediately started firing back. And Sean was again against the ropes. Now Undertaker's literally against the ropes. He's used... Against the ropes, he's tangled in him. Yeah, under, uh, Sean pushed him into the ropes and has now tangled his arms in the ropes so he can uh, he can hit him in the face with these unprotected closed fists. Um the referee telling him to stop, which I don't know why, because Getting what are you going to do, disqualify him? Yeah, it's a hell of a <laughs> And, of course, Sean stops to argue with the referee, gives The Undertaker a second to uh, to regain his composure, and runs right into a big boot. And now and Undertaker there we go. Yeah, that... <laughs> throws him to the floor, taking out the over. cameraman again. <laughs> Once again into the cameraman, the unsung hero of this match is, oh, man. And now... Oh. Sean actively punching the cameraman, stomping on the cameraman, which uh, is going to have a few uh, a few repercussions on this match. The first of all, it's almost a literal kick the dog moment, right? It's to remind us that Sean's a piece of shit, right? We want him to continue to get beaten up. It's a perfect way to do that, yeah. And yeah, uh, I guess that's true. I mean, what a great way to get across that, like. And he's still the heel. You know, he may have built up that sympathy by getting the shit kicked out of him for a while. But, like, yeah, he's still he's still the bad guy. Wow. Literally just, like, not leaving this camera person. I can't even believe it. Like, not even leaving this camera person alone. Yep. He had the chance. Around. Wow. Undertaker was distracted, and Sean was able to throw him out of the ring. But rather than follow up on The Undertaker, Sean is attempting to beat up the cameraman some more. Yeah. Well, which is almost truly wild. An incredible loss of focus, right? 
Yeah, so so true, so true. So here's the uh, here's the unforeseen circumstance, right? This cameraman now needs medical attention. I see. Meaning that someone's gonna have to come and unlock this cage door. So now, oh. so now oh. the question is, did Sean? know that he was injuring this camera person to the extent that they would require medical attention because now what a great question because he wants to get out he wants to get out right because now sean this is more of a fight than he wanted it to be even though things are on a little bit of even footing right now sean would still rather walk away yeah well i'm sure he doesn't forget the beating that he took early in the match right and here comes uh (laughs) here comes sergeant slaughter Sergeant Slaughter out to uh, oversee this medical emergency. Sean hits a beautiful flying elbow drop to the Undertaker, and now you see Sean is still in the ring, not necessarily at the cage door. So it seems like Sean yeah, he's not paying attention, like what's what's going on with that. Yeah, it seems like Sean thinks like he still might have the match won. Things might be under control, right? And here yeah. we have the cage door is open. Sean's in the corner. And now he's quote unquote tuning up the band, setting up for the sweet chin music, which is his. Uh, oh yes, the signature move. His signature move, a uh, a running sidekick to the temple. This has put down many an opponent. And Undertaker staggering to his feet. Now we see the. Uh, Dang! He falls right into it. Oh, and there it is—the dead man getup. Yep. <laughs> Undertaker enough. takes the kick. He sits up. As if nothing happened, and now Sean goes for the door. <laughs> now he's trying to get out. Now he's oh, and here we go. They're here both we outside. Go. We're outside the cage. I we just are outside the cage. I love the psychology of this. Right, Undertaker takes a, a drop kick into the into the cage. Um, he tries to go for a second one, gets caught, and now Undertaker flings him face first into the cage. So good. Oh my gosh, that looks but, great. And I love that you, the camera's right there, so you basically see him squished against it. Yep. So good. Now, I love the psychology of that. Undertaker was at a disadvantage. Sean was hitting his signature moves. Sean was clearly had an eye on the door. Sean's bleeding now. It's, yep, the blood has, has officially started pouring. Yep. But I love that. Sean was... He didn't want to continue getting beaten up by Undertaker, but he thought he might be able to beat the undertaker and as soon as it became clear that undertaker was not about to be beaten he panicked and ran he immediately tried to leave again it's true and all of these things it just goes to serve it's all Shawn michaels acting within his character as well is these are all things that like the heel character would do in these situations and like he just plays the part perfectly but now it's it's back to punishment for yep. him. I mean, and as soon as Undertaker got his footing again, it's just... Sean was yeah. all desperate to avoid pain and humiliation, but as soon as there was that glimmer of, maybe I can win, and maybe I'll be able to say that I beat The Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match, he was yeah. all ready to do it, and then as soon as there was more adversity, he panicked and ran. Yeah. You can see yeah. all of Shawn Michaels' self-serving psychology laid bare. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Now, Sean... They're both in bad shape. They're both stumbling around. And here we go. I should have known that it was going to end up here. I just should have known. But Shawn Michaels is climbing the cage. He he just seems like he wants to go on top. Like, that's the way to end it somehow is just... You gotta go on top of the cage. Yeah, and some... I guess he thinks maybe Undertaker won't follow him up there. 
I I don't even know what the logic could be, or at least well, that this is finally going to end. It is that you go up there and there's just the stakes are immediately higher, which they are. Well, and here we are. Both of them are on top top of the cage. My gosh. No, just, you know what? Oh I think God. this might be a smart move from. You remember when Shawn Michaels initially took control, and when he had control for a few minutes, it was because he was inside the ring and Undertaker was on the outside, and he knocked Undertaker off to the floor. So I think. He thought if he could climb to the top and knock Undertaker to the floor from the top of the cage, then yeah. that would be enough. Would but instead, yeah. we have Sean face down and Undertaker dragging his face across the cage and we see the blood dripping <laughs> down to the camera. Yes, what an incredible visual. My gosh. Oh my goodness. Fucking paging really Dario Argento, right? I know, seriously. And it like... It defines this era of WWE seriously. The fact that pay-per-views, it was always, you could guarantee, in a match like this, when the blood started pouring, it's when you knew everything was serious. And like, yep. yeah, it was wild the way it would happen. Oh my I love... God. I got so nervous that he... It was just gonna was throw going to throw him. Through, dude. Oh my God, yes. I, I love that the referee is down there, standing on the turnbuckle, just waving his arms at them like, hey, you have to come in the ring for the match. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to work, dude. Yeah, it just keep, you haven't gotten their attention yet. You just yes. need to try harder. It's like when <laughs> when a match has when a match has ended but people are still brawling and they just keep ringing the bell as if yeah. they're yeah. going to be like, "Oh, sorry, dude, they I didn't realize the match ended." Yeah, exactly. Whoops, my bad. Yeah. So now by the 23rd ring I heard it, but yeah, yeah. now Shawn Michaels oh, dangling right off the, the cage, gets his hands stomped on, falls, crashes through the announce table. And just is dead. He's a, he's a husk. And yeah, he's, he's in bad shape, man. It's just that whole table whole table fell apart. He was escaping because he was in it. Dude, his chest is literally covered in blood as yep. well. You can see face. it. You like, can see the blood pooling oh there by his gosh. arm. And this is so. Oh my gosh. You know, you wonder if what I was saying was right and Sean was trying to bait the undertaker into following him so he could knock the undertaker off the cage and the same yeah. thing happened to him. So that's a nice reversal. And then Sean <laughs> trying to get up and just grabbing at his surroundings and flinging around these pieces of paper that were on the table. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's serious. He's like having a tantrum, like, because it's just not going his way at all. It's a tantrum and it's desperate. He's just clawing. He has no recourse at this point. He's just, it's true. And Undertaker is just manhandling him. And Undertaker doesn't even look hurt. He just kind of looks tired. Yeah, he looks like he's tired, but he, it's not the same as looking at Shawn Michaels. He just looks broken. <laughs> yes. Shawn is... He's a mess. He's in a pool of blood. Undertaker looks like he just got off, like, the stationary bike at the gym. Like, he's breathing yeah. a little heavy. <laughs> He rode a, exactly. He rode a couple miles, or he did a he did a couple miles on the um, the elliptical. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he broke a sweat, but that's about it. I mean, seriously, dude. And now he's he's literally is he yep. dragging Sean's body? Is that what I'm yep. seeing here? Yep. He's dragging him back in. Yep. Oh my, yo, yeah. the sweat. Wow. Undertaker's got the sweat, but the blood and the tears are all for Sean in this match. That's all, Sean. Holy cannoli! Yeah, that is absolutely emphasized by that. Wow, yep. nice close-up of the face yeah. right there just to yep. see what's really going on. Ghoulish. Ooh, and Sean just looks so confused. and so He doesn't even know he where he is. He back up. 
they locked it back up. Yep. Wow. And Undertaker wow. with a clothesline. And Sean has no idea where he is, right? He's just... He's barely conscious. He, yeah. he can't fight back. And the only thing that is keeping this match going is the fact that the Undertaker still has frustrations he needs to work out. It definitely seems that way. He Look at that. Not done with Sean. He went to put Sean on the top rope, and Sean's legs, like, wishboned out because... <laughs> yeah, they were he, flopping around. Yeah, Sean can't even, you know... And here we go. It looks like a choke slam off the top. Sean is just... He's just... Yeah. He's a punching bag at this point. He can't yeah. do anything. There's no way we can conceive that Sean can come back from this. And Undertaker, again, back to his feet, maybe just looks a little tired. It's it's all in his hands. It's all a matter of when he wants to end it. Oh, my gosh. He's seriously not done. He's going under the <laughs> ring. He's got the steel chair. Yep, perhaps. Holy I mean, just like the, the tension. Yep. And, again, I, the thing about this match is, like, even when... Sean was making his comeback, which was great, and he did really well. There's just this sense of oh, just hit to the head. There's oh. this sense of inevitability with this match. Yep. This again, I just cannot stop comparing it to horror movies because yep. of the Undertaker's whole ethos here, and it just it is so effective that oh my god. And now Undertaker signals for the Tombstone pile driver, meaning that he's going to end the match, but the lights go out. Oh my god. No way. The lights Dude, the lights go out no and No fucking way. Ah! ah it's Kane! Ah! <laughs> and and Kane, this is the first time we have seen Kane. Ever, the, ever. Literally ever. Ever. The only time we've heard of Kane is in the context of being the Undertaker's no, he younger the brother. Off. He ripped the door off its hinges. Oh yep. my god! He was the red lighting right now. Yep. I am eating this up with he his step, food, dude. He steps oh through. God. We see that Kane has summoned the red lighting, which shows us that he's an equal to the Undertaker who summoned the blue lighting before. Yes, right? We yes. see that he's bigger than the he's Undertaker. Taller. Oh my god! <laughs> he's an Yo, Undertaker. Can his... you figure on Undertaker's face? He is shook. He is genuinely shook. The look on his face, seeing Kane. Oh my gosh, what a moment. The first time he's moment. seen his brother in 20 years. And he finds out his brother is not only alive, but a seven-foot-tall fire demon. Oh, yes he is. Exactly as you said and that. And Kane summons oh, four plumes man. of flame. And Kane immediately plucks up the Undertaker like he weighs nothing. Yeah. Nobody manhandles the Undertaker like this. He uh, just rotates, drops the Undertaker with a tombstone pile driver, the move that the Undertaker not only was about to finish Shawn Michaels with, but had finished all of his opponents with up until now. Yeah, yeah. And then just leaves. Oh my God, he's done. Just leaves because Kane doesn't give a shit about the match. It's uh, not about that at all. It's not about that at all. No. Oh, and look at Paul Bearer trying to get through to him. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but look at the smile on Paul Bearer's face, giddy that he was able to finally get one over on the Undertaker with Kane. And here, wow. back in the and ring, Shawn Michaels, Michaels crawling, <laughs> drapes crawling a single hand across the Undertaker. Oh my 
the referee crawls back to the middle of the ring, sees that Shawn Michaels' unconscious body is on top of the Undertaker's unconscious body, counts one, counts two, counts three, and Shawn Michaels has won this match. Oh my gosh. Wow. What an incredible, what an incredible ending. Wow. I mean, pitch perfect. I don't even know what to say. I mean, like... I, I knew that, like, I guess we were hinting at Kane. I was wondering where he was going to play into this. And yet somehow I was still surprised and it just still worked on me. It just still worked. Seeing him there, it just was so effective. Yep. I just cannot believe it. And, and like, the, the pitch of the match the whole time, it just you felt like you knew where it was going, only for it to come to that ending in just the most satisfying introduction of the Kane character. I mean, wow. Yep, and we see Shawn Michaels, you know, uh, where we started, look at that, Shawn Michaels' arm, his unconscious arm being lifted (laughs) over his head by Triple H. Being held by Triple H, oh my god, which, I mean, just goes to emphasize that he did not win the match, right? I mean, like, it just goes to show that, like, he was completely beaten to a pulp, it has nothing to do with the fact that, like, he earned this in any way. No. It's... It's the Kane factor, it's and Kane. that's really what it is. And now we all know it. Yep, and now we see, uh, we see, uh, just like when we started, we see, uh, we see Shawn Michaels uh, being the only reason Shawn Michaels is here and is even able to leave under his own. He's not leaving under his own power. The only reason he's al- he's able to leave the ring is because yeah. his friends are here to help him. And Undertaker is ending the match even lower than where he was when this started. This whole thing with Kane has come to a head, and it is physically destroying him now as well as emotionally. And we're seeing the replay now of Kane dropping him with the tombstone pile driver. And just the fact that Kane is bigger than The Undertaker. That is such a strong visual point that it makes the fact that he was looking up at Kane is like... Yeah, part of the Undertaker's whole thing is how imposing he is just to be in a ring with because of his size, because of his just whole vibe. But Kane has got that entire thing that Undertaker's got going on, and he's literally big. Yep. I mean, and wow. And Undertaker, you know, now the last image that we're going to see is is Undertaker in the ring by himself. And, you know, we said, uh, I love that it flashes winner Shawn Michaels as Undertaker's lying on the ground <laughs> in the fetal position. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But, but the Undertaker's signature move is, you know, uh, his signature visual to show that he's not dead yet, or still dead, or, or whoever works with him, is he's laying on his back and then he does the sit-up. Right? Yes. So how yes. many times have you seen that, where somebody has taken it to the Undertaker and they think, you know, they've hit him with a chair and they've hit him with this and they've hit him with that and it looks like Undertaker is down for the count and the opponent leaves and they're giddy and they feel like they've gotten one over and then the undertaker sits up and he looks at them and you get so this many I- incredible moments and yes. you get this idea that no undertaker is not down undertaker's going to be back and he's going to have his revenge and this time we don't get that we get the undertaker lying in the ring they tease that moment but instead undertaker rolls over and we end with the undertaker in the fetal position yeah yeah, Incredible. I mean, it, it, this 
it, it, this literally just turned from Friday the 13th into Freddy vs. Jason. Yes. I mean, that's just true. It's, it, it became, it, it, from a slasher film into their, this sense of inevitability, Shawn Michaels is going to get what's coming to him because he's the whatever, he's the heel character, into a full-on creature feature. Monsters are fighting each other now. This just became way more intense yep. all of a sudden. Yep, and that's where, you know, we didn't get the catharsis. Well, we did to an extent because we saw Shawn Michaels get his shit kicked in for like 30 minutes. Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> and we all know, you know, we've been proven right because we're like, ah, Shawn Michaels is full of shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He thinks he's the best. We yeah. know he's not, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. we all see that Shawn ain't hot shit. So we get that and we get to exult with Undertaker during the match. But then when the match is over, yeah. the stakes have been raised across the board, right? Because Absolutely. now Undertaker has to deal with Kane, not just emotionally, but physically. And Kane yeah, is... As a reality. As a reality. Kane is bigger than him. He's stronger than him. And he's here. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe Sean was a piece of shit and was, you know, annoying. But it wasn't this it wasn't this. Yeah. Right? And and now Undertaker has to deal with this kind of supernatural war with him and his brother. And Shawn Michaels, the situation we were dealing with was, God, I wish somebody would shut up Shawn Michaels. Yeah. <laughs> and Shawn Michaels can now say he's pinned the Undertaker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's true. And Shawn Michaels. bullshit as it was, he can. Yeah, it's and true. And what... What bigger gun is there than The Undertaker? I guess Kane, right? But those two are involved in their thing. Yeah, Kane has yeah, no reason yeah. to fight Shawn Michaels. So now we're forced to ask, well, who can shut Shawn Michaels up? <laughs> Who's going to be able to do that? So that's where it, we get this incredible moment. We get this incredible emotional payoff. We get this incredible debut of Kane, this... Uh, this new variable who's going to go on to be have a legendary career of his own. And both characters leave the match in a more interesting position than before the match started. Masterful storytelling. Yeah, and what got us there was so interesting to begin with that for, for that to be true at the end of this, for the stakes to be further upped and for everything to be even more complicated it's hard to do that. I mean, it really does. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like the build up to this one was so satisfying, but you know, it, it, they hit it out of the park with the match. Like it was worth something that built up. It was, it was a great match. It, it made so much sense in so many ways. Yep. And I, it's just, this is almost everyone agrees that this is a five-star match. This is yeah. one of the greats. This is a match that's firing on all cylinders. It does everything that it's supposed to do. Everything that it's trying yeah. to do, it succeeds at. You know, um, uh, I listened to uh, another uh, another podcast. I don't know how much sense it makes to plug this, but uh, Tisto, yeah. Tisto Film Commentaries, the guy does, uh, he records feature-length commentaries for films. And uh, Oh, that's awesome. And... One of the things that he says is something that I find super useful when thinking about films uh, because some things are, you know, some things are very subjective. You know, what is a great film? You know, that's subjective. But the example or the definition that he uses yeah, of is course. Yeah. Um, for a film to be a great film, 
uh, and not just a good film. He says that a great film has to have several great scenes and no bad scenes. Hmm. You know, the idea to make I it... I like that a lot, yeah. To Because to, to call something great is very subjective, but to think of it in sure. those terms, like, okay, there are at least two or three scenes in this that are indisputably great, you know? The, the performances yeah. are great, the, the mise-en-scene is great, the atmosphere is great, the, the, the camera work great, everything is on point. And if and there's nothing... it doesn't nothing, make any errors. It doesn't make any errors, and there are no sort of... Uh, there are no sort of points where the film dips below an otherwise good quality. Yeah, you, yeah, you, I like that. You can't really argue that it's not great. Yeah, And I yeah. think that a wrestling match works in much the same way. You know, there are very different kinds of wrestling matches. This was yeah. a brawl, a bloody brawl. It wasn't a technical uh, masterpiece, but it sets out, it's, it succeeds in what it was trying to do, and there are great sequences in this match. I would say the sequence with Kane, indisputably, is so evocative. The oh, scene, yes, it really is. The scene towards the end when Sean's uh, he falls off the cage and then Undertaker's just dragging his body around. Oh my god, was amazing. And just to see them lock the cage again yep. was great. Like, I, it was really such a great touch of just like, yeah, there's really, really no way out. But that made it even more effective when Kane comes and tears the door off its hinges. Just what a great touch. Yep, and the fact that uh, the fact that there's like some Chekhov's gun stuff going on, right? Like, yeah. we pay off... A few different times, we see Shawn Michaels attempt to escape in a certain way, and then later use that same way to hurt The Undertaker. Like when he tried to scramble up the cage and got pulled off, later on he scrambles off the cage and jumps off with an elbow drop. Yeah, We yeah, saw yeah. Undertaker do the same thing, where Shawn tried to knock him off the cage and he gets knocked off the cage. We see probably the uh, the best example is... Uh, the camera guy getting in the way a couple of times yeah, early on. a few times. Yeah, yeah, because it's just so cramped there. I mean, it really does emphasize just how little space there is for them to maneuver, that the camera guy just keeps getting caught up in what's going on. It's, yep. it's inevitable and, in that sense. And every time we see Sean get mad, and we see Sean get frustrated and, like, swat the guy, and then that pays off with Sean beating the shit out of him. Yes, and, it leads up to that moment. Yep, so... it. Nothing is a surprise. Well, some things are surprises, but they don't come out of nowhere. You know. Yeah, it's it's not just thrown together. Red. There's a deliberateness to all of it. Right. Everything is there for a reason. Nothing yeah. is a non sequitur. Everything is placed properly. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's I think indisputably a great match. And even the stuff that's not, you know, I guess what's the biggest criticism you could say about this? Like. Maybe Undertaker should have, you know, put a little bit more variation into the way he was beating up Sean. Like, maybe he should have kicked him a couple times before uh, he punched him. Like, it's nitpicking. Sure. If you, Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to nitpick it, I guess you could do that. But, like, in terms of all of – it hit all the beats that not only you would expect it to hit, but it hit some unexpected ones as well. They gave it some extra flavor. Yep. And, again, like – the performances on all ends, like Taker and Michaels, they're just like 
so great at doing it, both roles of just like again, Sean is so good at getting beat up, man. I mean, like he really makes Taker look like the unstoppable force that we know him to be because he's just like spaghetti after so many of those hits, and it's amazing to watch. But Undertaker too, you get the sense that you know. Shawn Michaels is just, you can't just play around with him because if you do, he will capitalize on an opening of some way and he will not let go. He will keep capitalizing on that opening because that's the type of wrestler that he is. It was tougher to do in the beginning because of the different environment, but he got there eventually and was able to make it work for him. Right, and ultimately, all of that is in service of the of the, of the the greater narrative, which is... What yes, the fuck? which is I, I guess every match is trying to do that, but I yeah I can't imagine that it's it's so easy to do or so effective no. as this one is. No, I mean this match shows us that man, there's absolutely nothing Shawn Michaels can't weasel his way out of, and <laughs> yeah, that's the narrative of Shawn, and the narrative that we're seeing with Undertaker was, God, he's so strong, he's so unstoppable. Oh wait, there's a guy who can stop him. Yeah, <laughs> and. We have those two stories going forward, obviously in different directions, and now we have yeah. one incredible story that's branched off into two incredible stories. What yeah. more could you ask for? I, I don't think I could ask for anything else. And especially as a wrestling fan around that time, I mean, it just gives you everything you wanted and more. You get this new, amazing character that immediately launches into a wonderful era of wrestling. And the rivalry between those two and where it goes is something totally totally different that's a whole other conversation but what a joy to see where it goes from there and just to see yep and yeah i mean it it really lays the groundwork in so many good ways for so so much awesome stuff to come yeah and all you know without giving without giving too many spoilers i usually like to you know just give some kind of background about where these guys went from here i mean uh michaels goes on to uh actually win the world championship and then uh, finally, wow. and finally, you know, his ascent continues. Um, but then he manages to uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin is the one who finally knocks him off, and uh, and uh, Sh- and Shawn Michaels disappears for a couple of years, and that's when he gets his life together behind wow. the scenes. Um, we saw wow, what an incredible thing! Yeah, and then we saw the Undertaker and Kane story. They have this intense rivalry. They team up. They become rivals again. They team up. They become rivals again um, a hundred times. Um, Shawn Michaels comes back. He and Undertaker have, uh, you know, they renew their rivalry with like. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. In the the late 2000s, it's like this kind of they're kind of like both. Uh, like older, like almost like retired gunslingers kind of thing where they're the only two guys left of their era and of that caliber so they sort of just gravitate to each other and you know Undertaker had still never beaten Sean at this point and Sean had worked through all of his shit and they didn't really have any personal beef but it was just like you know what when the chips are down who is better and they go on to have uh a pair, a pair of matches, two WrestleManias in a row that also enjoy an incredible reputation. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, like I said, now Shawn Michaels is retired. He's a coach. Undertaker's still wrestling maybe once a year. Oh, wow. I, didn't, I had no <laughs> idea he was still around. The last thing I heard about Undertaker 
which I, everyone was upset about, is that he got beaten by, I think, Brock Lesnar at, at WrestleMania one year. Yeah. And everyone was upset because he had this undefeated record at WrestleMania and Brock Lesnar. We don't have to get into whatever about Brock Lesnar and people's feelings about him. He's just not the most evocative performer, in my opinion, in terms of like whatever you think of him as a UFC figure or whatever, he's just not the most evocative performer in my opinion. So to see him win against someone with such a storied history was just, well, part of, part of the thing with Brock Lesnar is that he is so, he's such a singular athletic specimen. Yeah. The guy's a a freak of nature. Like he's got to be in the top, like one tenth of 1% of most physically, impressive specimens of course of, of course, all of time course, of course and the fact that you have this sort of disaffected don't really give a shit brain piloting the body of like an unfrozen <laughs> viking god yeah like, and the fact that he he clearly has not worked one third as hard as anyone else in the world because he never had to yeah. Everything that happens to Brock Lesnar feels undeserved. So the fact that he got to end the Undertaker's streak, I think, serves the Brock Lesnar narrative, which is, God, That's when fair. is some when is somebody gonna <laughs> make Brock Lesnar eat shit? You know, essentially. Anybody, anybody. Yeah. No, I told. Okay, that makes sense to me. I mean, You're, but you, got, you know, it, I, I you got work. It, You're supposed to feel that way. <laughs> yeah, it's they did just, right. It, it's, you know, it's one of those legacies that, like, especially if you've gone away from wrestling. Yes. And then you just hear about that. You're like, what? Brock Lesnar? Come on. But it's like, it's it like, does make sense the way that you say it. But, like, yeah, that was the last I heard of him. I didn't know that he was still around doing stuff. But I think that's fitting. You know, he's just such an icon, you know. I definitely understand. Just coming around once a year, spook people out, you know. It's almost like... You know, finding out that you're, you're a lapsed wrestling fan and finding out that Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker. It's like finding out that one of your elementary school teachers died. It's like, what? While well, I was gone, yeah, what happened? no, for real. That wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, no, seriously. I didn't That's sign off on this. the way that I understand the world. How could this be? Yeah, no, dude, for real, though. No, yeah, seriously. It, it, is, it is that level of crazy because you're just like, wow. It right. really, or, you know... I, I do sympathize with people that they're just like, there are how many Pokemon now? Like, what? Like, yes. this is the world that I used to understand? Like, it's it's just shows on one level, like, wow, like, wrestling is, is really different now, is I think what someone would think, like, yes. having heard that. But it, a lot of it's the same. I know that Vince McMahon, like, you know, just to paint in broad strokes, he loves big guys and the reputation of just real big, strong guys and just let's make this real big, strong guy the biggest wrestler in the whole world. And yeah, I know that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. It's part of it. Um, but yeah, man, Undertaker, he's still, he's still going. He wrestled, he wrestled Goldberg in Saudi Arabia this year in what? Yeah. In what is uh, probably one of the saddest matches I've ever seen. Man, it's not, it's, it's not good. Goldberg like managed to concuss himself on the way to the ring. Oh my God. And then they, they, first of all, it was like, it was like 102 degrees in Saudi Arabia. They're both going to die of heat stroke. Goldberg has a concussion. He's trying to lift the undertaker up. He keeps dropping him. It was bad. (laughs) Oh, wow. That sounds very painful to watch. Yes. 
Oh, Me- so unfortunate. Meanwhile, wow. uh, meanwhile, Kane last year got elected mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. <laughs> what? Is that true? <laughs> That's true. Wow. Yeah. That is truly, truly bizarre. Kane has overlapped in my life in a couple weird ways. And one year he was at a Comic-Con and I got to meet him. And that was weird. He was like, he didn't say a whole lot. He was, I, I don't know if he was like... like trying not to break kayfabe or something but like Work, he was what very, a gimmick yeah <laughs> it was it was really crazy but then he he was also in this movie uh directed by these directors that i love the soska sisters who are just these talented horror directors who are just amazing from canada they directed him in see no evil 2 yes which uh believe me i would not have seen unless i knew it was by these it was kane and also oh these directors that i love uh, it wasn't bad, you know. <laughs> they were. It's, it's not for everybody. They were actually trying to do a Bray Wyatt movie at one point. Whoa! Really? Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess it fell through. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Maybe bef- someday. You never know. I mean, like, I always used to love that stuff. Is just seeing like the tie-in movies that like a wrestler would do. I I look far. Only back on the days that like Roddy Piper did, they live. Yes. Like, oh man, I I only hope that down the line more horror, uh, more horror movie stuff and wrestling stuff will overlap in some strange way. Oh, it's just a joy when it does. I mean, there's a movie called WrestleManiac. Um, <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Um, let me think. Um, I'm stunned. I haven't heard of this. CM Punk was in a horror movie just this year. Um, well, Kane obviously yes, I'm did very excited evil. to see it, actually. It, it, yeah, that's so cool. Yes, yeah, CM Punk, actually, weirdly, he is a big horror fan. Yes. I've learned that about him recently. Weirdly, weirdly enough, in, like, some small world stuff, um, it's the same directors. He's in the same directors that I mentioned earlier, the Soska sisters, direct the movie that he's in this year as well. So it's just, yeah, small world stuff, but, yeah. Oh, that's wild. I can't... Yeah, I, I love it. I... I, I thought I had some other examples of, of wrestling. Oh, you know what? There is one, and I can't remember what it is right now, and I'm going to embarrass myself oh. if I uh, if I try to think of it, but it's actually, like, kind of, uh, kind of like an urban legend. It was like this weird local horror movie from the 70s that got made by, huh. like, an Ed Wood-type hyper-local filmmaker... <laughs> Who was friends, I love it already. This was, is great. He was friends with some wrestlers, and he filmed a horror movie at the arena with the wrestlers, and it was, like, super low budget, like... Wow. Like, to the point that it might have been filmed, like, on a Super 8, and, like, super, um, super bloody, super uh, garish, like... And I want to say it's at least partially found now, Somebody found wow. some version of it, and I'm butchering this story, but I want to say that this film is available somewhere. It might be that you have to buy a physical DVD from this guy. Wow. But I definitely... Yeah, and get a copy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Matt. Either your episode on Spook Squad is going to be that, or it will be El Santo, because I oh. have been doing some research on El Santo and believe me, I have not forgotten. We are going to definitely have you on Spook Squad and talk about either that insane movie, if I could get my hands on it, <laughs> or the legacy of El Santo. Well, I uh, 
We could we could always do both because I would love to have you back to talk about Bray Wyatt. Oh, fantastic! Yes, then let's plan that. Let's make it happen for sure, dude. All right, all right. So I think uh, we're coming up at about two hours on this recording. So I think oh, it's wow, time I know, really flew. Time flew. We had a, a fantastic time, but I think uh, since I haven't eaten dinner yet, I'm gonna have to say it's time to say good night to all of my listeners yeah, out there. I want to thank. Uh, um, I want to thank you first of all, Dan. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, man. It was my pleasure. I had a blast. This was awesome. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I want to thank my. Uh, I want to thank my friend Corinne Dodenhofer, designer of my logo. I want to thank. Uh, the Novas for the use of my theme song, Da Crusher. I want to remind you, dear sweet listeners, to like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify. I want you to visit me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and uh, on my official site at IHWPod.com, where you can buy all manner of I Hate Wrestling merchandise. Um, Yay! Uh Dan, I, I know you plugged your uh, you plugged your show, Spook, Spo- uh, Spook Squad. Is there anything else you want to plug? Oh, gosh. Well, I, that's the main thing we got working on right now. But I guess the only thing that I'll say is I'll drop a little hint that Spook Squad is about to get uh, very, very fun for this October season. We're going to start having a bunch of guests on from other podcasts, and it's going to be just an awesome blast. So I really hope that people will tune in and listen to that because it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Fantastic. Um that brings us to the end of the show. And Dan, do you know how I end the show? Oh, gosh, I think I'm, I'm blanking. How do you end the show, Matt? I ask my guest, who in this case is you, if you were going to be a pro wrestler, what would your character be? Oh, wow. I love this question, dude. This is, this is an absolutely excellent question. Okay. If I were going to be a pro wrestler myself, you know, I know that I've loved exactly what we talked about these this era of the spooky dudes i know i would want to be a spooky dude but i think i'm just a little bit too goofy to make it work so i think that i would lean into that i think that i would be like the kind of freddy krueger equivalent of like a wrestler where i would have a bunch of really loud crazy one-liners in a loud obnoxious outfit and just be kind of jumping all over the place and I, geez, I'm trying to think of what my gimmick would be as one of these kind of obnoxious one-liner guys. Uh, okay. Yeah. I came up with something. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, <laughs> I can't, can't think of his name, uh, but he, uh, he, he doesn't own an ambulance, but he pretends like he does. And he just shows up to the places where like there's horrible accidents and that's kind of his scene. And, uh, yeah, so he's the fake EMT, uh, and he's, he's gonna, uh, yeah, so the fake EMT, he's gonna, and he goes into the ring because he starts out at ringside, there's, like, it's just this extra character who just wants to witness people getting beat up and violence and then pretend to take them away somewhere different, but then he gets too involved in the ringside action himself trying to create his own accidents. So that's my character. I can't think of his name right now, but <laughs> that's my character. And his finishing move is uh, the stretcher. The That's stretcher. Gonna be. Okay. It's gonna be like a, yeah. He's gonna like. It's gonna be kind of like a tombstone sort of, but like they're horizontal somehow. I guess I'm strong in this alternate reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know how uh, how subtle Vince McMahon is. He would probably call you 
E M T. Like your name would be like E period M period oh T E E. <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah, that's absolutely probably <laughs> true. Oh man, yeah. Why even try? That's definitely probably what's going to happen. Is I'm just going to get boiled down to that character. But yeah, I think that that would be a lot of fun. I would definitely play him like a very, very, very over the top, as campy as could possibly be, taking everything from. Boy, what a joy it was to watch Paul Bearer with just like the bulging eyeballs. Like that's a hundred percent what I would be. Uh, yeah, like Mikey Meatwagon or something. <laughs> Dude. I'm officially, yes, that's what it is. Mikey Meatwagon, that's me. Put it on a t-shirt. I am Mikey Meatwagon. Dude, I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's me, man. Mikey Meatwagon, for sure. <laughs> okay. Do the Yeah. Checking things out around the... Okay. Vince McMahon on commentary. God. <laughs> Vince McMahon is a bad commentator. I don't know if you knew that. I, I have no trouble believing that, even though I've never heard him. I totally believe it. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Slaughter, they're checking under the ring, and uh, he, like The Undertaker, had a character voice. Vince McMahon definitely had a character voice, and it fucking sucked. Yeah. Oh, my God, the worst. Yeah. <laughs>